This morning, church, we're continuing in our teaching series called No Perfect People Allowed. We're looking at Jesus' interactions with imperfect people and how he, uh, in scandalous ways, embraced them in spite of their massive imperfections. And our point in doing this is twofold. One, so that we can have hope for people like us who are very imperfect ourselves. And two, to continue to cast vision for who we are as a local congregation. We are not a religious social club, nor are we a bunch of people who are striving for perfection in religious gold stars. We are people who are after Jesus and the grace that he offers and finding true transformation in our lives because of him alone. This morning we find another story that fits right in this whole series, and it's a famous story. Excuse me, it's the story of Zacchaeus. Most of you, even if you've not uh, been to church uh, or been to church in a long time, probably have heard the name Zacchaeus, and probably you know one characteristic about Zacchaeus, and that's that he was a little man, right? He was short and small. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed upon the, go ahead, for the Lord he wanted to. Yeah, you guys went to, to similar churches as I did growing up, right? We all learned that song. And so the thing we know about Zacchaeus was he's a little guy. He wanted to see Jesus, Jesus so he climbed up a sycamore tree, and he saw, the, saw him, and there was a fantastic encounter. Uh, we want to look at that story this morning and see some fresh insight into it and see really, I think, that as much as Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus, really the point of the story is that, G, excuse me, as much as Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, the real point of the story is that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus much more. Uh, And that's the beauty of our God, that he searches for us in that way. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. If you do not have one, that's fine. Just listen along. Uh, We'll be happy to read it out loud. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So for most of us, we've said this already, Zacchaeus, the thing that we know about him is that he was a, a, a small man. He was little, he was short in stature. But the truth of the matter is that Zacchaeus was probably a really bad dude, right? He was probably a bad person, like a, one of the worst of society in, in the eyes of the Jewish people of the day. Not only was he a tax collector, but if you listen carefully, he was what was called a chief tax collector. 
So he was a supervisor of the tax collectors, dispersing them to do what they wanted and skimming off the top of the tax collectors themselves. He was a bad guy. We're in this election cycle now where all we see on TV anymore are political ads, and lots of them are negative political ads about how terrible these politicians are. I would think if the Jewish people of the day could have done negative ads, like Zacchaeus would be the target, right? This would be the guy, like, never vote for Zacchaeus. He's the worst of the worst. But so much of it is true. You've got to understand, like, to be a tax collector is not simply to be an IRS agent in the day. To be a tax collector was to be ethnically Jewish, but in essence to have sold your soul to the Roman governing authority of the day. And so what they did is the Romans collected taxes off of anyone who lived in any parts of their empire, uh, of which uh, Israel in that time was part of it. Uh, but they only collected a, a certain percentage. It, wasn't, it was painful for the Jewish people, but it wasn't as painful as the experience of tax collecting was. Because what the tax collectors would do in, in having this agreement with Rome that they would get this money for Rome from their own people is that the Roman authorities then let them upcharge the people whatever they wanted to. So if Rome wanted 10% of their income, the tax collectors could charge 20% of their income. 10% went to Rome. 10% went to the tax collector. And then there were these things called chief tax collectors who were overseeing other tax collectors. And so now, all of a sudden, think of like our, our pyramid companies today, right? All of a sudden what happens is people are getting charged 30% and 10% is going to Rome and 10% is going to the local tax collector and 10% is going to the chief tax collector. And so the people despise these people, not simply because they had sold out their own people for the oppressing government of the day, but because they were so, so corrupt that they were embezzling money out of their own people and getting incredibly wealthy and powerful along the way at the expense of their own people. This guy was a bad guy. Now, he was short, and so he had to get in a tree, but if I was going to rewrite this story, I would start by saying Zacchaeus was like the worst person in all of the town. Now, we have to ask ourselves, this person who was kind of hated by society and yet kind of held in political esteem by the Roman government of the day and is incredibly wealthy... What on earth is he doing up a tree, right? This is bizarre stuff. How on earth does this tax collector get himself up a tree? Or as one preacher one time I heard say about this, it's not every day that you walk down the street and find an IRS agent up a tree, right? This is not a normal occurrence that we see. When I was a kid, we, my family took a trip to uh, Southern California uh, we went to Disneyland uh, and all these things. It was a great trip to San Diego Zoo. We had all this fun. But my favorite part of the trip was when we went to Disneyland, uh, which is in Anaheim, California. We just happened to be staying in the same hotel as the Oakland Athletics of the day. Now, if you're not a baseball fan and you're not a baseball fan circa 1988, just tune out for one minute and listen to my uh, you know, 10-year-old joy for just a second. The Oakland A's of 1988, the Bash Brothers. You remember them? Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, Terry Steinbeck, Carney Lansford, Dave Stewart on the mound, Dave Eckersley closing it down, and, oh, by the way, Reggie Jackson in the, in the twilight of his career. 
and they're staying in the local Hyatt with little Adam Eshba, right? This is back in the day when the baseball players didn't stay in the fancy hotels. It's not like my parents were living it up. We were in like a one-story Hyatt right across the street from, from Disneyland. And so instead of going to Disneyland, all I wanted to do was stalk the Oakland Athletics during the day because they had games at night, right? And so I got my little notepad that you get provided by every hotel room that you're ever in, right? And I got my Hyatt notepad, and I got my Hyatt pen, and I just stood in various places throughout the hotel waiting to find these people, and I would jump out at them and, like, demand their autograph. Jose Canseco's was the hardest to get, but it was the one I wanted the most because he was, like, the best baseball player at the time. Uh, Let you in on an inside secret that I had to learn afterwards and, and was crushed as a baseball fan. He was like completely roided up on steroids, and so everything was bogus that he ever did. But he was great to a 10-year-old when he was bashing home runs. So I finally tracked Jose Canseco down. This is a true story. In the hotel restaurant with two women on either side of his arms, and here's this 10-year-old running up to his restaurant table. And, right? A 10-year-old kid going after something like this kind of makes a little more sense than this wealthy tax collector. And yet he finds himself up a tree. And so we have to understand that at the core, this man either has some level of desperation or some level of sincere hope that what he intends to see is of that great importance. And the story tells us that who he wants to see is Jesus. Again, this is weird, right? It's not some... Roman authority who's coming into town that he wants to impress. It's this teacher guy. And really, at the core, there has to be, I think there's two reasons for this. There's one or one of two. I would think it's a combination of the two that are going on in Zacchaeus' mind and in his heart. The first is, I'm certain that he had heard how Jesus treated tax collectors. And it offered Zacchaeus a little bit of hope. For as much money as Zacchaeus has made and as much power as he had in the Roman government establishment, he was treated like garbage in society by his own people. To believe that there was a Jewish man of influence out there who was chumming it up with tax collectors probably meant something to Zacchaeus. He probably even knew that one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. And maybe he had even heard of the parable that Jesus had told just a chapter previous where he basically said, the tax collector is more holy than the Pharisee, the religious elite. And so you wonder if going through Zacchaeus' mind is, would this guy really embrace someone like me? Would he really have space in his social circle for someone like me? Even a chief tax collector. So I think Zacchaeus is climbing the tree and he's saying to himself, I want to see who this guy is. Are all the stories about him true? Or is it just a bunch of old wives' tales? Is it just a bunch of baloney that's not really true? Is he just like all the rest of the religious establishment of the day? He wants to see Jesus and see who he really is. And I think probably equally as important is Zacchaeus is experiencing some kind of inner crisis in himself where he is coming to grips with the fact that money and power aren't providing him the kind of consistent contentment that he really longs for in his life. There's some sense of deep-seated desire that is not being satisfied 
in him. To have the position he had, to have the the kind of wealth that he had, he was long into this tax-collecting journey. He wasn't a newbie. He was probably well into his middle-aged life. And I think he was beginning to have a realization that the money and the power that this particular journey offered him wasn't giving him the quality of life that he necessarily expected. And yet from this Jesus, he had heard stories, no doubt, of Jesus saying things like, I have come to give people life, and life to the fullest. Or I have come to provide water and a well of water that never goes empty. Or I am the bread of life, and anyone who eats from me will never have to eat again. And I think as he's climbing this tree, he wants to see Jesus because he wants to know, is Jesus really who he says he is? Can he really give this kind of meaning in life? Or is he another charlatan in a long line of people who have been promising things they cannot deliver? So Zacchaeus is searching. I believe he's searching deeply. He's longing for Jesus to really be these things, but he's unsure. But it's worth some level of public humiliation, and I'm certain public scorn from people who are yelling and saying things to him as he sits in this tree that we would not want our kids to hear. He puts himself out there because he's hoping Jesus is who he says he is. You know what's fascinating, church? The Bible tells us time and time again that those who seek God with their whole heart will find him. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 we love chapter, chapter 29, verse 11, right? I have the plans I have for you to prosper and to grow and to bless you. Verse 13, it says that those who seek God with their whole heart will find him. It's not this, uh, this esoteric sort of out here, God's just going to bless you and it's going to be great. It's about this idea of, of humanity pursuing God and God pursuing humanity in this beautiful, divine, and human relationship that's together that those who seek him with their whole heart will find him. It says it again in Proverbs. Those who seek him with their whole heart will find him. And I think in Jesus' story of meeting Zacchaeus, we find yet another proof that this promise of the Bible is in fact true. That those who seek God do find him. Well, I said it in the beginning of our talk this morning, that just as much as Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, because he wanted to see who he really was, the bigger part of this story is that Jesus, I think, was searching for Zacchaeus. I'm trying to use a stronger word than looking. Like, he was wanted to find him desperately because he had something to give him. You remember uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan? Uh, I know it's like 20 years ago by now. But you remember when the guy has to go find Private Ryan to let him know the news that his brothers have all died uh, and that the government is pulling him back uh, so that, that his mother can still at least have one surviving son from the war? This desperate search to find him all throughout. I get this idea in my mind that this is sort of what Jesus is doing. He's out there searching for Zacchaeus. And you might say, well, how do you know that? How do you read that in? Well, maybe a little bit of of it is me reading in, but did you pick up on some of the context clues here? How about the fact that when Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he calls him by name? Is this not astounding to anyone else? 
Can you imagine being Zacchaeus, who's like, I've heard a lot about this Jesus guy. I'm going to climb the tree to see if I can see him and see if he's really with the kind of people I think he's with and saying the things I think he's supposed to say and offering the things he's supposed to offer. And as, the, the, as Jesus moves by, he stops and he looks at the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to hang out with you today. Can you imagine what goes through his mind when he calls him by name? This is somewhere on the paradigm of terror to like incredible like love, right? That this guy knows me, but oh, wait a minute, this guy knows me, right? Imagine that some really, really important person, the CEO of your company who like lives in California or whatever, showed up to your business and was walking by your desk and stopped and said, hey, Mary, imagine the emotion that would rush through you. Whoa, he knows who I am. Oh, How does he know who I am? Have I done something wrong? (laughs) You know how that goes, right? And Zacchaeus is having this emotion in the moment, but we get the impression that maybe Jesus' trip to Jericho was just about finding Zacchaeus because we don't know anything else that happens there. Matter of fact, as soon as the story wraps up, Jesus tells a parable and then he heads out on the triumphal entry. Imagine this. That this whole stop is just for Zacchaeus. And then listen to the urgency with with which Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. He says to him, get down immediately. Right? Parents, we say things like that, don't we? This is not why Jesus is saying that. Jesus is saying that because there's an urgency to the relationship that he wants to, to establish with Zacchaeus. And then he says, I want to stay with you tonight. Now, if you were Zacchaeus, this is blowing your mind, right? You're trying to figure out, is this guy who he says he is? Uh, Is he offering the things he says? I'm going to check it out as he goes by. He stops. He calls you by name. He tells you to get out of the tree. And then he says, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And Zacchaeus is floored. And he welcomes him in. And there's this beautiful story of Jesus' embrace of Zacchaeus. Listen, that leads to Zacchaeus' embrace of Jesus. And it is not vice versa. Jesus shows up to meet Zacchaeus, calls him by name, tells him to get down, and says, I want to hang out with you tonight. He does not say to him, you're a sinner, and you need to get yourself right with God, because judgment is coming. That'd be a fair thing for the God of the universe to say to him, right? He does not give a, disposition or a thesis on the whole meaning of the Old Testament up to this point and why he should believe in Jesus. He does not call him away from his wrong tax-collecting ways. Instead, he embraces him as a human being and loves him. And it is the basis for one of the most dynamic and remarkable transformations in all of Scripture. A man who had spent his whole life scheming people out of their money now dispenses all of his money to everyone around, almost instantaneously. Friends, as ambassadors of the gospel, can we follow in Jesus' footsteps and not come to condemn, but to offer rescue? And a rescue that does not start with a theological treatise or argument, but with a valuing someone as a human being and loving them enough to be associated with them in deep ways. I have spent uh, a lot of days, a lot of nights in hotels over the course of my life. 
most of them have not been places that I would want to ever stay again. Because they tend to be cheap, especially when I'm staying by myself. And if there's a bed, I can probably sleep in it and everything will be fine. Rach can share horror stories with you. She's helped me come up a few steps in my decision on hotels we should stay in, especially now as we are married and have kids. Uh, But we've stayed in places where uh, there was all kinds of terrible things happening outside. We've stayed in in places uh, where there was disgusting inside. And in all these places are, are, you know, kind of known by what they are. I think one of the places that we stayed one time, we were driving down to Disney World uh, when our kids were little. And I'd remembered this place when I was, was young that my parents, that we stayed when we went down to Disney World. I thought, this is what you do when you go to Disney World. You stay at South of the Border. Has anyone ever seen South of the Border before? Just don't stay there, all right? It's got a lot of crazy signs right off I-95 that make you think it might be interesting, but it's not a place you want to spend the night with kids in in any way. It's very cheap, uh, and they still don't have electronic booking or anything like that. They write your name down in a ledger, uh, but it's just kind of dusty and dirty and all these things. And do, do, Do you get what Jesus is doing when he decides to stay with Zacchaeus? He's not saying, I need a place to stay, and you'll do, like I'm saying in a hotel. He's saying, I am willing to be defined by my friendship with you, no matter what it costs me. And immediately, everyone, all the Jewish and religious people of the day say, he's with the sinners again. We can't, we can't listen to this guy. He's disqualified himself. Look who he's staying with, because in the society of that day, who you ate meals with is who you were. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm, I'm him And he defines why at the very end of this story. He says, because I came to seek and save that which was lost. For everyone who thinks they have their life together, you don't need Jesus. But for those who have recognized that there are gaps, Jesus says, I'm with you. No matter who you are or what your profession is, no matter what you've done, where you've come from, what you have intended to do but never followed through on, Jesus says, yes, I will stay with you tonight. And he calls you by name. Jesus has never been one to put his personal reputation above the message of the gospel. It's why the writer to Philippians, Paul, reminds us in sharing the prayer that at the very beginning of his arrival to earth, Jesus sets aside his equality with God as not something to be held onto tightly. Why? so he could stay at our houses, so that he could enter into our lives, so that he could be defined by his relationship with us, and in so doing, really offer the life that he says he came to offer. Hey, this interaction with Zacchaeus is likely happening a day or two before Palm Sunday right, before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that last week is a crazy week. It leads to a Thursday where he has his last, the last dinner, the Passover meal with his disciples, a Friday where he's crucified, and a Sunday which is a resurrection and, and utter victory. Why on earth is he spending one of his last days with Zacchaeus? Like, isn't there, like, really much more important things to do? Doesn't he need to shore up his support base with his disciples? Remind them what they've come to do? Doesn't need to preach more sermons so people will understand it. And yet, his decision is, I'm going to go stay at this guy's house tonight. Why? 
Because this is the message of the gospel. This is what he came to do. And so it is not surprising to us when he says, today salvation has come to this house. Why does he say it that way? Because he is salvation, and he stayed with Zacchaeus. But salvation is not determined upon what good Zacchaeus could now do or had previously done, but the fact that Jesus is with him. It is on the basis of that that we see this radical transformation in this man's life. Think about this for a minute. I mean, literally, he had in essence, in the Jewish thought of the day, sold his soul to the devil, right? The the Romans of the day were the devil to the Jewish people. And this guy had sold his Jewish birthright to these people. And in so doing, had profited off of his own people. Had schemed people out of all kinds of money. Was one of the most greedy people you could ever imagine. And immediately upon encountering Jesus for who he really was, he gives away half of everything he owns. But the story is way bigger than that. Because did you see what he said? He said, I'm going to give back four times what I have wrongfully taken from people. I'm telling you, he went into debt if he lived this count completely. He gave away everything. Something deeper than just a desire to give away money to help the poor had happened in his life. There had been a transformation at the innermost part of his heart. I think that there was a moment of true identity that came into his soul. You've heard me say this before, but at the core, I think we are motivated by three deep desires of our soul. Desire to be significant. We want to be significant, mean something, be of value, make a mark. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved and embraced and accepted by people. And we want to be secure. Feel like things aren't crumbling or shaking. And all of us, though at different levels, are motivated by these three things in some combination. And the beautiful story of the gospel is that it is only God through Jesus that offers the fullness of all three of these things. And I think that Zacchaeus is beginning to experience this. That everything he had sought to gain through his own actions, he could really have in Jesus. And as his identity was beginning to be transformed in Jesus... Look what happens. His priorities begin to be transformed out of it. No longer is his life defined by doing whatever he has to do to get money, to gain power, to be influential, all of these things. Instead, having begun to found some sense of of identity, some, some sense of security and significance and acceptance in Jesus, he's no longer so gripped by pursuing these things that he now begins to actually open his hands. Many of us don't know what that feels like. Because we're so longing to either keep what we have, and I'm not talking about money, right? I'm talking about, like, life in general. To keep what we have or to get what we want. That we don't know what it's like to open our hands. Someone once told me that when we open our hands, certainly we give things up, but we also present a posture in which God can place new things in our hands. 
St. Augustine said it this way in his confessions. I think this is a universally true statement. That our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And when they do, we can finally open our hands. And once his priorities are transformed, because his identity is transformed, now his behavior begins to be transformed. And suddenly the man who was stealing money is now dispensing generosity. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. This doesn't happen because Jesus said, listen, I stayed with you tonight. Now I need you to go give money to the poor. Because that's what good Christians do. If you're on my team, that's what you got to do. No. This happens because he's actually transformed by who Jesus was and what he's done for him. And I would suggest to you, too, that true transformation only happens in our life when we allow Jesus to come over to our house, to put it in Zacchaeus' terms. And we begin to breathe deeply in the truth of the gospel that we do not have to hold tightly to the things of this world, whether it be your treasure or your time or your talent. But instead, we can hold our hands open and we can trust in the immense generosity of our Creator to have what we need and to give what is needed. To begin to be transformed into the kind of people that God has called us to be. I love the story of Zacchaeus because I just do. I think he's probably one of the worst people in society. I heard a preacher say it this way. It's amazing that Jesus didn't call him out on his sin because he's probably the worst sinner in town. Yet instead Jesus said, hey, I know your name. Can we hang out tonight? I love this story because Paul reminds me and all of us that we are no better than Zacchaeus. But in Jesus, we find someone who does not come to condemn us for what we aren't, but love us for who we are and call us to become what God wants us to be. Can I pray with you?